0: The sponsor for this episode is Whoop. If you haven't heard of Whoop, it is a fitness tracker that provides personalized daily insight into recovery, strain, and sleep. Uh, And this has provided some really cool actionable data. I've been using it personally. There's a ton of PGA Tour players that are using it. You've probably seen Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, and others wearing it. Um, And here's kind of what I take away the most is, is number one, sleep and recovery. So every morning, you can uh, look at your phone, go into the app, look at the data, and it'll tell you kind of how your recovery was. Are you ready to take on a lot of strain that day? Should you relax a little bit more? And make take really better actions based on how your body is doing. And then strain, this will let you know of how hard is your body actually working. Is that workout that you're doing, is there enough strain? Is there not enough? And look at all those different things. Um, in the golf context, uh, just the other day, really interesting. I found that playing nine holes walking um, was the same amount of strain as playing 18 holes riding in a cart. There's so many good things from WHOOP. You should check it out. We got 15% off your WHOOP membership. Code GSL, 15% off GSL. Uh, head over to WHOOP.com and check that out. Definitely recommend picking one up. We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. All right, everybody, welcome back. We have another fun Q&A roundtable. We are with Adam Young, John Sherman. We have yet to determine a name for this trio of conversation roundtable, but welcome back, guys. What's up? Hey, what are you doing? Not much. Today, we are tackling a question around practice, which Adam has, uh, I believe, written a book on, if I'm not mistaken. What's it called again, Adam? I don't know. I I think it's the practice blueprint. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah, something like that.
1: Well, yeah, you have your own series on it. Yeah, we practice practice gods out here. (laughs) That's good. I just thought of golf gods could be. um, That's already taken, isn't it? For I believe
0: that is taken. Yeah,
2: we can't do that.
0: Okay, so this is a this is a simple question and one that um, I'm sure we all have gotten or talked about or thought about in some point of view. But it's what are your thoughts on the benefits of block versus random practice? And I guess we should start out by clarifying
2: what block and random practice are. Uh, who wants to do that? I want. I want Adam to do it, even though he might not want to. Adam, you do this. There Difference we go.
1: between block and random practice. Okay. Well, block practice is just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Like if you scrape and hit a seven iron towards the same target on the same lie. Random practice is much more. We say contextual in that it represents the game. There are varying levels of it, so you could change clubs each time. So go from a 7.9 to a wedge to a driver, just like you would in the real game. You could change lies each time. You could change, uh, I don't want to say shot shape. You could do that, but I don't think that's a necessary thing. I think that falls more under the umbrella of variability practice. But yeah, just changing targets, uh, lies, shot type, you know, wedging, chipping. Anything that makes it more realistic, anything that makes it more contextual would be
0: random practice. And the research has shown, there's some studies that show that when a retention test is done, meaning that a group of people do the practice in a block or random manner, and then they come back and are asked to perform at that skill and the retention test that random has performed better than block in some of the studies that have been done going back, I think probably since the 70s, if not not before. And so that's kind of, where this conversation comes from. It's not a golf specific idea to begin with. This was from, you know, academia outside of golf, just in, you know, motor skill, you know, different skills. And then we're kind of bringing that into golf over the years. And there've been a number of papers written on that. We've had some of the experts on in the past, like uh, Dr. Tim Lee, Mark Guadagnoli, Robert Bjork, et cetera. Some of these guys really kind of brought the study to golf, which is, which is really nice to actually have them looking at our sport, feel really lucky that they've you know, done research on it and that we're able to, to learn so much from it. But there's, there's a little context, a little context for this conversation.
1: Yeah. You make, you make an important point in, in terms of retention, because I think we often get mixed up between performance and learning. So it's very easy to stand there with a seven eye and beat them over and over and over perform like a God and think that you've actually learned something. Yet you, people know they go onto the course end and they hit it everywhere, and they think, where did my game go? You know, even in my own game, if I stand there with TrackMan beating seven eyes over and over, my proximity to the target might be ten, fifteen, twenty foot. Whereas I know if I actually produced that in a round of golf, I would be number one on tour. And that just doesn't happen because I wouldn't be here speaking about it on this podcast if that was the case.
0: Oh, come on now. You would still hang out
2: I with might, us. Yeah. I
1: yeah. I still like No, he'd to literally be playing debate.
2: at Colonial right now like at <laughs> <Yeah>. this moment. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, you know, when it comes to preparing on that for a round of golf, if you want to look at, say, your shot patterns, for example, and, and you want to see what shot patterns you have that you're going to take on the course. You know, I, I set a little tweet out the other day saying, are your shot patterns the same? Or different when you're doing random versus block practice. And 75% of people said they're different. So whether they're whether they better or whether they're worse when you're doing random practice, they are different for, for the vast majority of people. So why would you practice when you're preparing for a tournament and get a false sense of what your patterns are? You know, my pattern is much straighter. I miss fewer left shots when I'm doing block practice. And I know from group coaching as well that I would watch the people in the group hit these shots and they'd all be hitting great. And then I clap my hands and say, right, everybody gather round. We're going to do a little game now. And they would all stand in front of each other and hit one shot and then rotate. And so it'd be a very pressurized game. So much more context, much more random practice and their shot patterns would be completely different. You, you go from someone hitting the sweet spot every time to all of a sudden shanking every single one of them.
0: Let's get down to the nitty gritty here. And I think that, you know, Adam, uh, myself, we could go on for, for hours speaking about the benefits of a random practice or improving your practice. Uh, and it'd be a pretty one-sided discussion. I, I think Some of the arguments against it arise when folks turn on the television or head out to a PGA Tour event that's in their area and they see, you know, a a pro with something like a putting mirror or some kind of drill set up and they hit, you know, 200 four footers in a row, you know, and they make every one of them just over and over and over. And they come home and they they're talking and they're like, yeah, I just you know, I, I just got to do that to build confidence and hit these over and over and over again. And so, you know, and, and also we hear stories of people, you know, hitting trash cans full of golf balls to get really good. There are all the kind of these stories told throughout, which anecdotally we would go like, well, the pros do it. So, you know, why wouldn't I, is that a good place to start kind of that, that argument against Adam?
1: Yeah I mean there's there's the obvious correlation versus caus- causation argument you know just because pros all wear hats with a sponsored logo on their head doesn't mean if you sponsor an amateur they're going to get better in fact it might make them worse because now they're pressurized by the sponsor <laughs> um there's also the uh, what the pros do is that necessarily the best for them you know if you're practicing 10 hours a day you can probably get away with a hell of a lot that someone who only has 1 hour a week can't Then there's all the scientific studies, which are flawed. They're not perfect. They only show what they show. They're very specific, but they all do show that random practice performs better when it comes to retention tests, not necessarily performance tests. And ultimately, we are after learning. We're after retention. We're after transfer to the course. We're not there to be range pros. Some people are. So there's all these different routes that you could go down. But, uh, in, in fact, I think there are studies now showing that when pros or really high level golfers are given a random practice protocol, even the pros improve more than when they are practicing with block. So even at the higher skill levels, it seems to hold true, especially on things like wedge tests where, you know, you've got energy selection. You know, if you're hitting 60, 90, 70 yards and you're having to vary it a lot, you have to select the right shot which is a huge part of this. All right, I'll stop talking. John, do you want to jump in?
2: Um, (laughs) I think a good place to frame it is, let's talk about the mistakes that most golfers are making when they practice. And I think all of us here agree from our own personal experience and watching other golfers is that most players are not really engaged when they practice. I kind of view it as like these zombie range sessions and I did them for a very long time myself. You know, you show up, You buy as many balls as you're going to hit, whether it's 50, 80, 100, and you just kind of go through the motions you're hitting and you're not really paying attention to much. You're not paying attention to your target, where the ball went, what your stance was, you know, posture, all these things. And the trap that most players fall into is that they feel like, okay, I spent that hour at the range. I'm entitled to better golf now. And it's just not that simple. So in terms of where I fall on this debate, and I don't really know how big of a debate it is in the uh, general golf world, maybe the nerdy golf world, but so I'm all for engagement and practice. And I think that most players get stuck with blocked practice because that's just what comes naturally to them. And it's harder for them to focus and be engaged in that versus if you introduce them to a random concept, which they're probably not doing, there's a much better chance that they're going to be engaged in that and also experience the pressure and whatever you go through on the golf course to hit that singular shot. So I'm totally fine with doing both kinds of practice. I do. I just think most golfers are overdosed on blocked and start need to explore more of the random. But I I definitely do both. And I try and stay engaged in either. I just think, you know, introducing random can open up a nice new door for golfers to make their time worth it because, you know, you do, like you said, Adam, you don't have unlimited time to beat balls all week like a pro does. You might only have a couple of hours and you want to make it worth it and obviously transfer those skills to the golf course. So I think random practice could address the main problem that plagues a lot of normal players.
0: You know what I think it comes down to, John, is that as humans, we naturally kind of go to what's uh, most comfortable or what's you know easiest for us and doing a kind of that kind of block practice where we do improve during that session, right? We can hit our 7 iron a little bit better by the end. We can hit our driver a little bit straighter maybe. And we see that and we go towards that. The problem is that when we look at the the research like Adam mentioned earlier, the performance versus learning, that's from a guy named Dr. Robert Bjork out of California and talking about how actually we learn when we make mistakes. So it's this really uncomfortable place of, is we don't want to make a mistake, right? Like, and if I'm on the range, I don't want to look bad next to these people that I might know potentially. Right. And so I think a lot of this just comes down to, we haven't been educated on it. So we do what's most comfortable for us. And it comes down to a lot of times just an education thing. Like, and, and that's what I get so passionate about is that there's a lot of really smart people out there that have, spent the time and done the research you know like Adam you've you know you've you've looked into all this you've tested this out you've put in so much work in this and and now it's just about spreading that message cuz people just they don't know and that's why they just follow along with the stereotype yeah
1: i mean just as i'm not anti technical i'm not anti block either there are certain things that i think it it's valuable for i still want to see more research on it but you know, for for me, I'd say what, what is the main value in random practice? And for me, it's it's that act of forgetting. I think uh, Mike Hebron is, is someone who talks about that. Maybe, you know, think about the preparation skills that go into, say, a chip shot, right? If, if you stand there and hit a chip shot, you've got to assess the lie. You know, you can't hit the same shot if that ball's sitting down versus sitting up. You've got to assess or select the shot type. Are you going to have more shaft lean, less shaft lean? What club are you going to use? You're going to hit the chip and run, a a high stopper, a little spinner. You're going to have the face open. What are the green conditions as well? Every time you face a new shot, you're basically having to make a prediction. It's like, how hard is this green? What is this line going to take? Is it going to curve left by how much? And then you have to go through the act of doing a couple of practice swings to kind of recall the speed control or the energy needed for that swing. And then you have to execute. Now, if you're doing random practice, you have to go through that process every single time. But if you do block practice, you only have to go through that once. The next one is just a. you don't have to assess the line out. You don't have to make a prediction on the break because you know it. You've seen it. So you're losing those predictive skills, you're losing those preparation skills, or you're at least not practicing those preparation skills. So for me, when it comes to tournament prep, random is going to be a big part of that.
2: And let's face it, like golf technically is a random game other than like your tee shots, You are faced with a random situation every time, whether it's the lie, the wind, the elevation change, you're not facing the same challenge you are on a driving range mat that has a perfectly flat lie and you don't have to worry about chunking the ball. It's just not the same scenario. Not that you can't build skills in that scenario, but when you really think about golf, it's a random series of events that you have to react to and plan in the moment and and execute.
1: What you said there, John, the, the word build skills. I think that's, that's probably a key with block versus random is I see, I see blocked practice as more of a building thing. You're building something new potentially. Yep. Um, you're creating a new motor program. Whereas random practice is more about accessing what you already own. So, you know, if if you wanna make a a golfer better, if you wanna make them achieve new potential, if you wanna take them from a 20 handicap to a scratch, they might have to do a lot of block practice because they're gonna have to make motor changes. They're gonna have to get used to those things. But if you've got a 20, let's say a 10 handicap who keeps going on the course and playing like a 20 handicap, they're not accessing the skills they already own. So let's help them with random practice to improve the access of their already owned skills. One caveat to that is that it hasn't been proven yet that blocked practice is better for building, even. <laughs> so I, I intuitively believe it is, which goes with the blocked, block crowd. But it wouldn't surprise me if it came out and said, you know what, when creating a brand new motor program, random practice is better for that as well. Wouldn't surprise me.
2: Would it be helpful if I gave like a scenario of how I practice, like short game, and kind of give an yeah, overview of how I? switch between blocked and random i I think i wrote an article about this about a month and a half ago so for a very long time i struggled with distance control on like those those in-between wedge shots and i mean like 30 to 70 yards so my first step was is like i needed to learn a technique that i could rely on for those distances whether it's a 30 40 50 60 or 70 yard wedge shot I would hone those distances and have to repeat them until I could feel like, okay, that's my 60-yard swing. That's my 40-yard swing. And to be honest, I got that template from reading Dave Peltz's short game Bible a long time ago in his clock system. So I spent a lot of time like hitting that 50-yard shot over and over again, that 70-yard shot over and over again until I feel it. But then at the same time, I would then at the end of the practice session test myself saying like, whether it's like a launch, I have a SkyTrack launch monitor at home. So like I would do the random thing and it calls out a number and like try and hit it 63 yards, try and hit it 42 yards, try and hit it 72 yards. So I'm going back and forth between repeating the distance and then testing myself. And I felt like that helped solve one of the biggest problems in my game. Or I would say if you're out in the practice area on your golf course, even in your backyard, giving myself all different types of lies in the rough. So changing that variable and trying to hit that shot over and over again or just throwing it down and see what happens. So like, I think with short game, because those are distance control is such a huge thing and you really are changing things all the time. You have to like recall a distance and a trajectory. Going back and forth between the two has helped me personally.
0: I think that's that's right on point. I think one interesting facet and all of this is like Adam mentioned is is time spent I think a a lot of times I think about self-discovery some of the words that come to mind Adam you're familiar with you know like a constraints-based approach ecological dynamics theory there's some of the stuff we've done podcasts on this in the past but like like what you're talking about there John I wonder you know my question is if you had unlimited time would you best retain this if you self-discovered this on your own, where you went out and and created a game where you had to go figure it out how you were going to do this, and and if that would be more beneficial in the long run, although it would take longer. Am I making any sense, Adam? Is that? <laughs> I
1: don't. I. I mean, I'm interpreting it in my own way, but I personally wouldn't have discovered random practice if I hadn't read the science, because. Yeah. Because of that performance versus learning thing, I would have stuck in block practice because I would have felt better with it. I would have performed better with it and not, it's only when I understood that difference. It was like a light bulb going off. It's like, Oh, wait there. Yeah. Learn, but performing in, in practice doesn't necessarily mean you're actually retaining any of it. And the act of forgetting and then trying to remember it, that's what creates the retention. And that's why random practice makes sense. And then I started doing it more, started seeing benefits from it. So I don't know if I would have discovered it myself organically.
0: Yeah. What do you think in, in John's case there? Dude, what do you think about doing that block to get down that this idea of, all right, I'm going to go to, you know, what, nine o'clock and that's 65 yards?
1: Again, intuitively, that makes sense. I think we'd we'd all probably go towards that even after reading the block versus random debate. My only question on that is what if you've just done pure random all the time? You would have made more mistakes. You probably would have felt like you were learning less, but we don't know. What what if even during that building stage where you're building these different distances? or if you'd done the PELTS method, just varying it, you know, going from 40 to 60 to 70?
2: Yeah, I think along the way how I've always practiced is I'm always like, I'm always paying attention to what the golf ball is doing and working backwards. So I'm always looking at what's going on. I'm saying like, oh, what could I do differently that time to react to that? So I don't know if you would classify that as like, all right, you know, sometimes I've experimented with like grip changes uh, over the years to see how it would affect my ball flight. But I'm always like, I've always felt like I work backwards from what the ball is doing. And if I have to, you know, potentially like, Is it my alignment? Is it my grip or something like that? Or is it, you know, a lot of other things like I've always been like an experimenter in general, especially when I was a kid, I used to go in the yard and just like smack balls around and see what I crazy things I could do with it. So I'm all for like taking time out of your session and trying to do like sometimes when I'm struggling hooking the ball, I try and hit like an enormous slice or just like experiment with what that feels like to help maybe neutralize what's making me hook. So I don't know if that would fall under the random part of it, but like it's an experimentation thing, like challenging myself. And through that process, like I'm trying to solve the problem of my ball flight. I'm working backwards. That's been my own quirky way of doing it and how I've arrived at my own golf game. I didn't know what I was doing at the time growing up or even through the years, but that's how I felt like I built skill to bring out to the golf course.
0: I love that. Adam, I'm curious your take on that kind of awareness drill where You know, intentionally trying to hit a huge slice, hit a huge hook, things like tempo intentionally, you know, going tempo 50% to 110%, uh, intentionally aiming left of your target line, aiming right. I love these awareness drills for people because a lot of people have such a lack of awareness because they never try anything different. They just do the same thing over and over.
2: Yeah, I think that's the core. Like if we're the core problem we're trying to address here is like most golfers are doing the same thing over and over again and usually are not happy with the results. So what we're trying to do here is take you out of that pattern and give you suggestions on how to how to get out of that rut and what you can do. So, you know, the, you know, continue with the experimentation thing. But I think that's like the problem we're trying to solve here. The
1: only thing I'd say we're doing the same thing over and over is that even when we are in that block practice mode, we're still making on-the-fly adjustments. They might be more conscious for some people, they might be less conscious. But you know, even if if I if I am in block practice mode, I am hitting straighter shots than I normally would. Because somewhere unconsciously, if I hit one left. I know the feeling of, of neutralizing that. And it's, it's at a stage where it's unconscious now. And I think that's why random practice is better for me because it makes those adjustments more conscious. So say, for example, I hit a shot in block practice. I hit it left. The next one, it's just automatic. It's like I'm, there's such a short period of time between shots that the adjustment is, is already inbuilt into my motor program. Whereas if I hit one left in random practice and I have to step back out, then I have to hit a wedge shot, then I have to get my Sev9 and come back in again. Now I have to remember. I have to remember that I hit that last shot left and I have to make a prediction that, oh, this shot might go left as well. Then I have to make a conscious intervention and say, do I want to try and adjust this shot before it even happens, you know, on the prediction that it's going left? And then I have to even say, how much of an adjustment do I want to make? It's all, it's, it's much more of a conscious process when you're doing random practice. Whereas, yeah, like I said, block practice, although we're effectively in the science doing the same thing over and over again, we are constantly tinkering and trying to certain things. It's just, it's more of an unconscious process. And that's why I think blocked can it, it, there's obviously benefits to it you're going to get better if you do blocked or are you going to get better than if you did the same amount of reps random or even the same amount of time random
2: so if someone wanted if someone you know came to you and said adam like i've been doing this block thing my whole golf career without realizing it and i want to start doing random practice can you give like some tangible examples of like you know if you were at the range for 30 45 minutes something like that what would you tell them to do that you would think is like your bread and butter random practice?
1: I suppose I would start with varying levels depending on the player. If they are really solid mentally, you might shove them into full random practice mode. So changing clubs, changing targets, changing shot type. So that would be the most difficult form, but then it's the most representative. And they'd have to understand the performance versus learning thing. Because if they start doing random and they start hitting it worse, they're going to think, well, I'm just going to go to block practice. Whereas if they understand it, if they understand that they might perform worse, then they're more likely to stick through that. But yeah, it, it might be a case of I might select a target for them. So you've got a left side boundary, right side boundary. And I would say, all right, you're going to hit a driver down there. If successful, you move to a wedge down the same target. If successful, you move to a seven iron down the target. And then if you get all three successfully, you win a point. So there are loads of, it's such a simple thing, but there's quantification. There's pressure. They could even, if they, if they struggle with the driver, they could make the drive the last shot so that, uh, you know, as they're about to win that point, they're feeling the pressure. So rather than hide from what we, suffer from, actually confronting what we suffer from helps us through it. I mean, there's a nice book, Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, that talks about that. Going really deep here now, aren't we? But <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's the random stuff, yeah.
0: I think you hit on an important point there, Adam, which is almost layered. I think this is such a layered conversation, like block and random is such the tip of the iceberg of this that it's hard to talk about it in concrete terms, like, yes, random, yes, block, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like, this is not a black and white kind of thing. Because like, another aspect of uh, you touched on, like going through the mental aspect of there's a problem here in front of you, you have to go through all that problem solving to get to the solution and then try to execute that solution and then reflect on that, right? The other side that you just also hit on was coming in with a plan of things to do, right? Like how many golfers come, I, I think this is probably one of the biggest things, how many golfers come into any practice session with a, any kind of plan, right? The plan is to hit golf balls and try to hit them straight for most golfers, which as we just talked about is probably not where the learning happens unfortunately so i i mean for myself even i know the stuff like it's very div- like i don't keep a journal of you know kind of a practice plan and don't come in with with plans necessarily and i know that's a problem and i think it's something a lot of golfers struggle with cuz you just get reactive and then you you start you know down your your swing tip search pretty pretty quickly
2: i think at at the bare minimum you know sometimes we assume that people might know more than they do about this topic but like I think a lot of golfers when they go to the range and I probably did this for a really long time myself like if you if you pull them aside be like where are you trying to hit that ball they would say like oh over there and they're like where's over there you're like I don't know just out there and when I always talk about like working from my ball flight backwards like if I'm not engaged in where I'm trying to actually land the ball and seeing what's happening and paying attention to what the golf ball is doing in relation to my target, then I have, I believe zero chance of, of fixing it or working it, working on, you know, building skills and getting better because like there's no intention, right? Like every golf shot you hit on the course, like you're probably going to be choosing a target. So I think a lot of golfers like just need to take the first step of like, maybe going through a routine before they hit each ball at the range, sometimes placing the bucket of balls behind you. So you're like forced to actually like pick it up, walk back, take a second and refocus and actually think about where you're hitting the ball and what you're trying to do. Just taking that one simple step of, of really, it's a, it's a step of discipline I believe could really make a world of difference right from there. And then, you know, maybe you can start introducing like, all right, hit a driver, then a seven iron, then a pitching wedge and just, go through, cycle all the targets on the range, try and play a game with yourself. But no matter what, even if it's random, you're going to have to stop yourself and think about what you're doing and and pay attention to what the ball did. Because I don't think you have any chance of getting better if you don't have that even basic level of engagement.
1: Even something you said about picking a target, I I wrote a blog post about three years ago, four years ago, on a guy who I I watched. I know he's a 20 handicapper and he's hitting these shots and I'm just, I'm looking at his pattern and thinking... There's no way this guy is off 20. And then I asked him that question, what's your target? And he looked at me and said, oh, I haven't got a target, (laughs) which is crazy, right? But some people do this. Some people practice without it. So I gave him a target out into the distance and he stood back, walked in, and then he looked like a 30 handicapper. (laughs) He didn't even look like a 20 handicapper anymore. So it's, it's amazing how our locus of attention, where we place our attention, can change depending on what type of practice we're doing. Now I asked that player, so what were you thinking of before I picked the target for you? And he said, well, I was thinking of my swing or I I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it's something more internal. And then when I picked a target for him, he started thinking of the target. And the way I see motor programs, it's almost like Pavlov's dogs in that our motor programs are attached very strongly to what we are thinking about. If you give someone a target focus, they might produce one motor pattern, might be a shank pattern. And then you give them an internal focus and they might be able to produce a more centered strike pattern. Does that make sense to you guys?
2: Yeah. yeah. I actually think like there's a disproportionate, like i always, golf is incredibly mental, obviously. And like, I always look at the 17th at TPC Sawgrass as like the perfect example of that. Those pros was that 130 yard shot, 135. Like those guys have, would have no issue hitting that green or that target if there was no water around or anything to like worry about or all those like it would be automatic they'd hit that green every time in a practice session but throw a bunch of water around it and where the pin is and all of a sudden like it just changes everything for them and they're hitting disproportionately poor shots probably for their normal dispersion on that hole than any other hole just because it's the most unique mental challenge or one of them in golf probably like I always look at that holes it's, it's so interesting to me because like it just once you change the reference point you know your mind can do some crazy things to your body and you can't feel and I guess my point is is that if you're not taking that step during practice and you're just randomly swinging like there's no pressure on you you're just Letting your body, you know, free flow and like that that's never gonna happen on the golf course. Like you're never gonna walk up to a shot and just be like, Oh, I'm just gonna swing and you know, I hope you, you could get to that point. But there's always gonna be like more pressure because you got one chance and you're focusing more on the target at that point. So yeah, I guess we're trying to get to the point in practice where you're not recreating the golf experience exactly, but you're at least giving yourself a better chance at dealing with those problems in practice that you would see on the golf course versus just winging it and doing nothing special at all.
1: Definitely. I, I, um, I've i done it where I, I've let players hit shots towards a 150-yard target and looked at their shot patterns. And then I've kind of recreated what you were talking about, the 17th at Sawgrass, by saying that, okay, you get a point every time you hit this 20-yard square. So you've got 20, 10 yards left, 10 yards right, 10 yards long, 10 yards short, so 20-yard square. And you lose three points if you miss it. Or I can even, if someone has issues, say someone comes to me and they say, I'm hitting it left. This goes to Cordy's point about constraints-based learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, okay, well, let's play a game where you get a point every time you hit this target, 20 yards side to side. But you lose three if you miss it left. And you don't lose anything if you miss it right. So that starts to evolve the entire ecosystem of the player. So, you know, things like their alignment, their path, their face, their perceptions, their fears of that left side. Because they know, if you can visualize this, they know if I miss this left, I'm going to lose three points. Whereas if I miss it right, there's no loss. I don't gain a point, but I don't lose. And then I say, stand there until you reach 20 points
2: so do you think one of the best ways to solve this problem for most players would be like some type of performance game
1: yeah yeah that's what i would call it because like
2: if you just tell people like oh just practice randomly like they don't necessarily know what that means and i i always view these performance games as a way to solve that because it creates Mm -hmm. pressure it creates that scenario where you are changing targets every time and you're focusing more on each shot to kind of solve that problem like i've I do it myself more in the winter. Like I have a the simulator thing in my house and like my kids playroom, and like I'll just play a round of simulated golf. And to me, that's great random practice because like I'm playing the world golf tour and hitting shots on like Pebble Beach and like I'm actually like thinking about what's going on rather than just like slamming my driver into the net as hard as I can.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, on that performance game, there's this whole concept of like as humans, we either adapt to an environment and succeed over time and so you know when you create a game that's really effective hopefully the idea is you get so engaged in that game that time goes by really fast you're having a ton of fun that it's you know appropriately challenging and that you learn how to succeed at that game if it's a really well-structured game it's going to help your help your golf game and so that's what i love about you know adam your your stuff Is that a lot of these games to figure out face control or low point control, stuff like that, that, that you create is it's, it's making people figure it out. And a lot of times, you know, in that ability to keep going until they figure it out is where that learning, that learning is, which is, which makes it super effective for retention, which is, which is really what we're looking for.
2: That would be like, if someone's listening to this and they're like, how can I get started on this? Like I would. You know, whether it's like Adam's Resources or there's plenty of performance games out there, like that would be my recommendation is to like approach it, find performance games that challenge you. Like there's a great short game performance games called Par 18 where like you just choose nine targets on the chipping green and you're trying to get up and down each time and you register your score. So you're presented with nine situations where you have to try and you know chip or pitch the ball and hopefully one putt or two putt at worst, and you've got your score at the end of the round, and you can play that game every week and keep track of your progress, rather than just, you know, if you did have a short game facility, you can access just like smacking the same sandwich over and over again to the same target. That would be my recommendation is to move away from that kind of practice to I think the performance games like push you in that random scenario where you're actually like putting real pressure on yourself. And it's, and it's just more fun. Like, Like I tell you when I hit balls over the winter with the simulator, like I enjoy that way more than just like hitting balls into a net. I know not everyone has access to a simulator, but like even if you are at the range, like playing an imaginary golf course or something like that, it's just more engaging and more fun. And I think you'll get better doing that.
1: And those performance games, I mean, there's so many different layers you could add onto it. Random or blocked is just one of them. Random clubs, targets, lies, shots, whether you're doing a 60 or 90 yard shot. But even adding things like observers, you know, I knew that from group coaching that, uh, you know, just someone hitting shots on their own, even if they are playing a certain game, they're going to produce different patterns. than if all of a sudden five or six people are around them watching, I always tell the anecdote of I remember hitting shots on the range in Spain and just blasting these drivers, big high draws down the target. And I just, you know, I just felt like a, a golf god. And then I noticed behind me that there were a couple of people watching and I didn't feel any different. I didn't, nothing changed consciously, but then I started spraying them all over the shop. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, just, just the observer effect, right? Schrodinger's golf. So yeah, adding observers makes it more realistic. Quantification. So like we talked about a game where you get a point if you hit a target, you lose points if you miss a certain direction. That adds pressure. And if you record those games as well, if you write down and say, right, I scored 100 points today or or 80 out of 100 today. I'm going to try and beat that tomorrow. Then there's going to be pressure when you start that situation. That very first ball has pressure. And then the emotions part of it as well. Often we're practicing. There are no emotions. We hit one left. it's like, "Okay, just grab another one. Whereas if you're playing a game where you lose three points, if you hit it left, I've seen people slam their club into the ground, which, all right, isn't great. But it it shows that they're engaged now in the practice. It shows it means something to them. And if that's who they are on the golf course, they can't shy away from that because then they never learn to deal with that frustration or the elation. So all these games that have this quantification, these performance games that John talked about, I call them transference games because they help you transfer what you have to the golf course. I think it's uh, there's so many layers to it.
0: Well, I feel like we could talk all day on this topic and there's no doubt that we could. Maybe we come back next week and we, and we share some of our favorite kind of games, routines or habits that had, you know maybe for John and I have helped us personally. Adam, what you've seen with students, what you've heard about. And uh, we can come back and, and share a few, few next time on that episode. But guys, this has been great. There's so many things to share and there's so many layers to this conversation. I, I, really, enjoy, I really enjoy this. And we could probably do a whole... We would probably do a daily show just talking about this.
2: (laughs) I guess the real question we're going to find out is, is someone going to listen to that? We got to make it good, right? (laughs) I hope, yeah, I mean, um, we could go on forever on this stuff. And I think like, I think the main point a lot of us, I hope, I think we're trying to make is like, block is what comes natural to golfers. And we'd want to push you more towards that random flavor in your practice just to increase your engagement and the pressure you put on yourself and i I think that's going to give you a better chance of solving that problem of taking your skills off the golf course onto the golf course that would be my my final point on that because i know that really pisses people off when they hit it great on the range and then they can't hit it anything close to that on the course yeah people already do enough
0: It's just a bummer there are no books about practicing golf. That's the only disappointment. Yeah, if there was only
2: one.
1: Tell
0: me. (laughs) (laughs)
2: All right, guys. See you next week. All right, thanks.
1: Cheers, guys.